Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Learn From Gaming Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we dig into some of our favorite games and discuss what we can learn from them and just why we like them. For those of you out there counting or not counting, because if you are counting, you know where we're at, and I'll explain that later. Uh, This is episode 37, and it's coming at you on March 7th, 2019. My name is Chase Strollenberg, and I'm joined today by... Stu Gritter. Hi, Stu Gritter. How are you? I'm <laughs> doing pretty well, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm giddy. I'm oh, a little bit giddy that's good. because... That's good. Um, I have learned I've learned about things in the we, world, yeah, and we're going to talk about them. We're we going to talk about them later. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Learning yeah. is good. Learning is a positive thing for most people. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Something that should be pursued with enthusiasm... Oh. Um, as long as it's made to be enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can also learn things that are hard. Um, yeah. Learning bad things sucks. Um, but, uh, learning you're on fire. Terrible. Yeah. Bad news. It is bad news, but you have a quick response and eventually you learn how to deal with it. I guess it's better than not knowing you're on fire. Not knowing you're on fire. Um, it leads to knowing you're on fire. That's true. Yeah. It's often a precursor. Yeah. (laughs) You can learn the warning signs. <laughs> Do you smell smoke? <laughs> Are you getting warmer somewhere? Mm. Yeah, it shows up. Right. Um, good, good. Right. So anybody who hasn't uh, listened to the podcast before, we don't just talk about fire, um, but we also talk about playing video games. And, uh, well, not just video games, actually all kinds of games. And mm-hmm. really just sort of digging into the intrinsic educational value of games as a whole. Like a lot of games are actually designed um, to teach you how to play, especially video games. Uh, there's like actually built-in tutorials and that, that gets a little smoother depending on the game you're playing um, as time goes on. Um, but uh, yeah, to really get into it, we also we want to talk about what you just you take away from games aside from just the joy. So sometimes um, we, we've touched base on things like uh, geography, like simple geography, um, strategy because we play a lot of strategy games so um thinking strategically or thinking a few moves ahead is a really big deal um but also things like spelling reading comprehension um and even some socioeconomic things like uh we 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 talk about social interaction when playing uh i think our last episode was on uh, or i i talked about vampire and like group cohesion um being conscious like a a good player is conscious of uh of the other players around them a good uh game master is conscious of all of their players and what their expectations are and and you you learn how to deliver um like it's uh there's there's a lot going on in gaming and um sometimes you just play it and your mind isn't really realizing what's going on and before you know it you've got a new set of skills you didn't even know you were learning so um that's really what we're trying to get at here uh whether or not we do it is up to the experts (laughs) which we are not Stu and i just (laughs) for the record are not professionals he's not at this uh, in the field in the field of learning um it's uh yeah we're we're just two guys having fun talking about games so um Stu, right off the top before we jump into any of the regular sections of the show was there anything you wanted to talk about uh nothing is jumping out at me no <laughs> no no fair enough that's that's fair because yep. you're surrounded by boxes and you might be moving soon but yeah. we're not going to tell anybody where no you don't it's a big want secret your stalkers to find you yeah well that's 
<laughs> one of the biggest incentives to moving. <laughs> are you? Are, wait, are you? Are you serious? Uh, I could be. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, I hope not, but like, okay, that's that's uh, that's fucked. Um, okay. Well, anyway, we're gonna move into our next section of the show, which is what we learned this month. This month, I learned that Stu might have a stalker. Um, so this is the segment of the show where we discuss things we learned about gaming this month. So Stu and I, we love tech, we love gaming news. So remember, if you have any news or tech articles you want us to discuss. Shoot them to learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com, and Stu and I will definitely get into it. Yeah. So that's uh, learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. So, Stu, I have one piece of feel-good news. Uh, you tell me whether you want me to hold on to it until the end or deliver it now. Uh, we, I'm sure we could use it now. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, um, this is, it's kind of goofy, but man, it's oh, so good. endearing. Yeah. It's so endearing. So um, fencing and lightsaber duels, I guess it's a thing now. So uh, there's, there was an article that popped up in my news feed about how the French Fencing Federation is assisting the French Lightsaber Academy in organizing real tournaments. And they actually posted a video of um, the, the members of the French Lightsaber Academy, like, um, fighting. So I'm not 100% sure on all of the different restrictions and rules, but it looks like um, combat is open. So anybody who's familiar with Star Wars and anybody who isn't, if you're not familiar with Star Wars, uh, the concept of a lightsaber is just a sword that lights up. Um, but there are different variations of lightsabers. Um, so there's like the, the dual bladed. Um, so a, a laser blade comes out of each end. Um, of course, these are not real laser blades in 2019. It's just sort of aesthetic. But um, yeah, it, it looks like it's almost open open style. So you can use two lightsabers, you can use one lightsaber, or you can use like the uh, the the dual blade bow staff. Um, I expect you will never see a tournament legal like super spinny sword if you ever watched the. Um, I think it was the Rebels cartoon. There was an Inquisitor that had uh, <laughs> basically um, a, a super spinny sword. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's a thing now. Uh, and also, like, where was that when I was a kid? Because I would have totally yeah. have gotten into fencing if it would have led to <laughs> to, to lightsaber <laughs> academy. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh man, huh. like super cool, uh, super cool. I don't like. I never gonna be. Well, I'm not gonna say never, uh, but probability of it being something like an Olympic sport pretty slim. But like even just a bit of recognition, the fact that a fencing like the the fencing league is willing to um, accommodate and assist um, that like the the other academy is is pretty cool. Like yeah. I, I think that that's yeah. great. Um, and uh yeah it was just relatively fun cheery kind of interesting stuff yeah. i would be okay with my son or daughter being a lightsaber champion um just saying <laughs> yeah. i'm also okay with them not being but wow that would be <laughs> i'd be more okay with them actually. yeah put that on your resume you can be a jedi master oh. anytime I'm, so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure some of that does come from like it's another decent uh stream like it's a kind of like side grade to f for the the fencing academy to pull people into the actual serious yeah proper uh, like fencing proper, proper yeah yeah, yeah. I, uh, so serious was not the right word there um 
Yeah, proper was better. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, proper fencing, proper. you know, as opposed yeah, to yeah, form, li- well, the light form sword traditional. Battle. How's that? Yes, yeah, traditional. traditional. Yeah. But uh, that was fun. I, re- I, I saw that. I watched a f- couple of videos of it, and I was like, yeah, this is a thing, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad it exists. Neat. Yeah, that's what I got. Super That's neat. all I got. I'm not, I, I don't have any bad that I, I put down to talk about. <laughs> but if you do, I'm more than willing to jump into the mire with you. The only thing that I was going to bring up from news was that Diablo, the original Diablo, is on GOG. Yeah, it's on GOG now. I saw that. Which baffled me for a bunch of reasons. Good old games. Um... <laughs> Is yeah. it because it's an Interplay published game? Or no, was it Interplay? Interplay That's only Blizzard. published it in... No, it's Blizzard, but Interplay yeah. had publishing rights in certain places, and I think maybe Europe oh. may have been one of them. So do you think that maybe that's how GOG got it? That is entirely possible, because um, as far as I know, the GOG version can't connect to Battle.net. And that, I'm, that makes sense, but also... Battle.net Battle.net existed for StarCraft. I wasn't aware that it existed oh, yeah. for the original Diablo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That was yeah. The first Battle.net was for the original Diablo. Wow. That was the original thing my boob. Okay. Um cuz I could remember oh interestingly no, enough okay. no, one no, computer. No, here's here's the thing. No, like I I don't remember um, what about the uh, the expansion? The expansion was could, could that connect to Battle.net? No, the expansion was single player only, and that had to do with there there were big fights between Sierra and Blizzard because the that wasn't made by Blizzard. That was oh, actually okay. the expansion was actually made by Sierra, and okay. they had multiplayer stripped away from them because Blizzard saw it, and they said oh. we don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. The the wow, Diablo Sierra. expansion was yeah, um yeah, it didn't really fit the same flavor necessarily. There were there were some liberties taken and I mean who who knows what happened with all of that development and creative direction. Nah. End of the day, single player only. Right. Right. Um Cool. Uh, did you know that the first time that I played Diablo ever was on PlayStation? Um, my, you. yeah, no. Um, my my first encounters with Diablo, and actually my group of friends, we all like, we got Diablo, um, from a used game store, and my brother and I played it hmm. on PlayStation, and then all of our friends came over, and it was such a good game, that we just kept playing it on playstation because we like we had characters yeah yeah like you it becomes a a pretty big time investment the longer you play yeah um and yeah that was a thing um multiplayer you were like you were stuck to the screen you were in (laughs) like you couldn't you couldn't wander off you you both had to be in the same screen and that was really the only limitation to it but i mean it is a pretty big limitation yeah um yeah so it was only local. Yeah, I guess it would have been only local. Yeah, no, well, the, there was no modem in the original uh, PlayStation. Yeah, um, the yeah. PlayStation 2 would get an installable modem, right. but um, it, nothing was on board yet. Yeah. I think the Dreamcast was the first system to be shipped with a modem in it. Um, 
and then now it's just expected that you'll yeah. have either modem or Wi-Fi. Um, and like, like modems, when I say that word, I guarantee you in five <laughs> to ten years, there will be some people who are like, what the fuck what is the that? What the hell is a modem? Yeah, it's the thing that connects to the internet. Yeah. Some um, people, even now, like some people don't recognize the old screechy sound of the dial-up, well, man. Yeah. Like it makes me and so sad. It was such a <laughs> wonderful, wonderful part of life to thing. pick up the phone by accident and oh, be greeted yeah, by fuck that. Fuck up somebody's game. <laughs> They're just disconnected. Oh, yeah. Man, can you imagine playing the hardcore anything and somebody picks up the phone? <laughs> yeah, I can. Uh, mm-hmm. Sounds mm-hmm. well. Yeah, like nowadays, the the version of it nowadays would be horrible. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, cool. Okay, so yeah. um, that's, that's did you a, do any a, research on it? N- I just the like cursory snippet of um, it's available on GOG. The GOG version is uh, patched, has some QOL stuff um, or like bug tweaks and fixes, but can't connect to Battle.net. That's all I know. Okay. Yeah. Because you can also buy it on Battle.net and then it's just Blizzard official. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think that the loophole is in all likelihood they. They, they got around it due to whoever had publishing rights in the UK, if I if I had yeah. to guess. Yeah, um, no, that makes sense. Because, I, yeah, I was definitely surprised to see that. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's the only reason I brought it up, because they've been remastering and releasing uh, their old... Everything? Well, like, yeah, well, like even <laughs> like Rock and Roll Racing and the Lost Vikings and all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that was that's all done through Blizzard Classic. Are they charging forty dollars for any of those games yet? Probably, yeah. um, probably. Well, <laughs> I mean, they they charged for the remastered version of Brood Wars, mm. like the the prettied up version. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, they released the other version free for a couple of months, uh, maybe to build up the hype, and then yeah. like the original, and then they they re released the um, the remaster and now with you more actually pixels. For it. with yeah. more. Um, cool. Cool. So that's what you got? Yep. All right. Um, well, that's all I got, too. Uh, there's a bunch of other stuff happening in the news cycle, but none of it's really about learning. Um, so <laughs> we're just going to, I mean, unless you want to say, hey, I learned that most of contemporary games media is just riding each other's bandwagons when it comes to stuff like Anthem, and most of the things that they're complaining about <laughs> usually get resolved in a single patch. So, I'm... um, <laughs> My, my, okay. <laughs> I guess off the top, then bouncing back to our previous section, I had intended to play Anthem. I was actually right. looking forward to playing Anthem. Uh, right. I'm not going to talk about it later in terms of games I've been playing because I haven't okay. been playing it because right. I can't. Um, I'm sorry. I played the demo. Right. Uh, both the demos actually, uh, because I. I'm one of those idiots that really wants storytelling to progress in games, and Bioware does a decent job of that. Yes, traditionally. Yeah, yeah. like they're the some of their characters uh, in the Mass Effect series are really um, d- relatively strong characters in in gaming. So I actually pre-ordered Anthem. Yeah, played both the demos. Uh, a bunch of my friends just have the EA or the Origin premium or whatever the hell it is which um, was the way to play it earliest <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah but this like i don't want to support those companies this was like money f- directed at a bioware product yes yeah um, i understand uh they released it i didn't actually launch anthem for i don't know two weeks after the release 
because I, right. I just never got around to it. Fired yeah, it up because busy and yeah, and uh, <laughs> I couldn't launch the first mission. It just Wait. crashed. Yeah. Wow. Crashed. 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 So I got my refund, which I think they're having a shit ton of issues because my refund was immediately approved. Right. And that's too bad because that's like a whole lot of money that Bioware doesn't have now or EA or whoever. But yeah, it was like, gah. so that sucked. So I haven't. So, okay. Yeah, so here, like I find that career. interesting because, uh, okay, here, here is what I know about Anthem across the, uh, the different consoles. Um, like it's supposed to play best on, um, on PC and Xbox one. Um, Makes there sense. have been notorious issues for for PS4. I had quite a few during the demo. I had some very very unusual um, kind of issues. Hmm. Um, but uh, I know that Fred Rojas over at Gaming History um, X and Gaming History 101 that he um, he has gotten it to run and he's got it rendering uh, 60 frames a second 4K. Mm-hmm. Um, without issue, without stutter, uh, yep. without breakdown. Um, except for I think he had maybe a, a mission reset or something the other day, um, which all things considered is awesome. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just it's interesting to hear. Like, um, did you do much research into it, or did you just sort of hands it, in the air it, give up? No, it, it was an old bug. I didn't have issues. I knew other people had issues with the ninety ninety five percent load screen bug during yeah. demos. Uh, I did dur- dur- yes, and on PS4, and I did during during the demo, but only in full screen. And when I went to borderless window, that solved it for me. So other, hmm. so that was fine for the demo. Um, I fiddled a bunch with the hardware settings uh, with the proper release, and nothing seemed to resolve it. I wow, like tried sucks. a dozen different configurations and resetting yeah, and you're and not a, you're shit. not a dumb person well, like you're a bit more tech savvy I, than the yeah, average I guy i can try right? a lot of different shit like even just like went and re-ran through everything again after having disabled my second display and it still didn't help didn't do anything so i'm like all right fuck it if you guys like this worked before you patched it and now you <laughs> broke my shit no you don't get money for that yeah yeah well that's too bad um so yeah. so my favorite graphic sorry this came from news about anthem my favorite thing yeah. like news snippet about anthem was p.s maybe the best way to play anthem is to not play anthem <laughs> <laughs> Like Shit. you don't have to, don't feel uh, obligated. If you don't like the game, uh, then don't. Which was kind of sad because I thought the the core gameplay loop was entertaining to me. That's why I kind of bought into it. But yeah, yeah. Gone. Um, cool. Well, hey, I'm gonna be talking about it later. I uh, hope you don't <laughs> get jealous. I don't expect that you will, but uh, just letting you know, yep. I'm gonna be talking about it. Yep. Okay. What? So then, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's spiral out yeah. into what we le- no, we just did that. <laughs> What we learned from gaming. gaming. Yeah, so uh, this is the main meat of the show. Uh, We are each going to pick a game, we're going to talk about it, and we're going to describe what we learned from it. So, Stu, do you want to talk about a game? Roll into Anthem. Just give her. Go ahead. That's not my game. That's not your game today? Okay, well, talk talk about your game. I just talked about Anthem. It's your turn to talk about anything. I haven't even won Anthem yet. You haven't won Anthem? I hear it's not that hard to win. Yeah, I hear you can win it. Probably. Yeah, I I thought other guys at TeamSpeak had already... Yeah, I, I think it's like about 
20 to 40 hours, depending on how much of the side stuff I'd, you want to do. Yeah, I would say probably on the lower end of that would be my suspicion. Maybe even 16. Anyway, yeah. uh, right, that's not the game I'm talking about today. Right. The game I'm going to be talking got? about today is Second and Setsu 3, or Secret of Mana whatever. That would be 1, 2, 3. Yeah. No, it would be, well, no, it would be Secret of Mana 2 uh, for anybody who's going by the Secret of Mana moniker. Uh, we're going to get into, like, I'm, I'll, I'll explain this in just a second. So this is a game that's designed by Squaresoft, published by Squaresoft, and it was published back in 1995 in Japan, never had a North American release. Um, there was an English fan translation that was released in the early 2000s. And um, so let's get into this. Uh, I just want to clear up some of the nomenclature around this game because it can get a little confusing. In North America, the first Saiken Densetsu was released as Final Fantasy Venture on the Game Boy. Uh, that game has since been re-released as, I believe it's it's now known as Sword of Mana. Um, but that it was originally Final Fantasy Adventure. It was a green box. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was the first one. The second one, the second second uh, Densetsu, so second Densetsu two, was um, Secret of Mana for Super Nintendo. Um, and the third one uh, that came very late in the Super Nintendo's life, so 1995, was Sega Zetsu 3, which is this game. So, what is this game? This game is a um, it's an action RPG. Uh, it plays very, very similar to um, well, to both um, Final Fantasy Adventure and Secret of Mana. Except that, like, everything is dialed up because <laughs> they learned all of their lessons from the previous games. Um, so what do you do in this game? Actually, uh, a few things are a bit different. You actually get to choose your party members. So you get to choose who's going to end up in your party. You name them at the beginning of the game. Um, and then uh, you just sort of wander the world. Uh, trying to do whatever it is that is significant to the character that you choose. So um, different from other games where you just had the main protagonist, um, you you actually sort of get to minorly influence uh, the way the game plays. I'm gonna like full disclosure. I have not won this game. Um, I'm hoping to get back to it and play it, but like the problem with JRPGs is it's very hard for me to. Uh, dedicate to it right now <laughs> with my <laughs> with my two and a half year old son mm-hmm. um it's just it's hard uh i was really hoping we would get a north american release of this game uh when they 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 did a full release of all of the secret of mana content in japan when the switch launched um so i f- i i was just crossing my fingers that we would actually get an official localization and that never happened um <laughs> Hi, everybody. Um, So, funny story. We recorded this way before E3 2019, and what came out of E3 2019 was a localized version of what is now referred to as Trials of Mana, which is second in Setsu 3, or uh, what, what fan subs were referring to as Secret of Mana 2. So... Trials of Mana is the official release. It's on Switch right now. It has a North American localization. I've actually been playing it, um, and that's as of June 
24th, uh, 2019. I have been playing through it and uh, it's great. It's a great, uh, localization. So anyone looking to officially play this game who doesn't want to go to ROM sites and try and find, uh, try and find a ROM of it, look for Collection of Mana, which also includes Sword of Mana, Secret of Mana, and now Second Insetsu 3, Trials of Mana. All right. Thank you. And sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. At the time of recording, that wasn't the case. So enjoy the rest of the episode. So the only version of this game that I've played, and it is not a bad version of the game, let me be clear, uh, is the the fan translation. Um, and it is like the, the game itself is great. And the translation work and localization that was done in that fan translation is still, I would say, very, very good um, for a bunch of folk that got no money. For doing what they were doing they yeah. just did it uh pure enthusiasm like it was it is a very good job so uh, and you know what what's interesting is i could talk about the game um but i i feel like there's not much that i need to say that a gameplay video couldn't actually speak of and the reason why i i am even bringing up this game right now is not because of like i i took joy in playing it um, not everybody enjoys the, the secret of mana style of, of combat and the secret of mana. Like there's a ring system, uh, that only makes sense. If you watch a gameplay video, it's actually really hard to explain. Um, but what I want to talk about this game for is it was one of the reasons that I started learning about, um, I started learning about ROM culture and emulation hmm. because that was the only, only way to get it, that, yeah you could play this game. Um, so let's go back in time. Uh, I'm thinking the first time that I played this game was, uh, shortly after its initial fan translation release. Like one of the first games that I actually emulated was I think final fantasy three, final fantasy two or three, the originals. Um, and they were both on Nintendo and they were rough, 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 rough games. Um, but like I had found a ROM site, um, some of the stuff was on there. I had never seen it before, so I wanted to engage with it. Um, there was, a, I think, three wasn't even um, translated yet, so it was just like in Japanese, and I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> I had no idea. Um, it was it was tough. Um, but then I started encountering like um, through emulators, I was able to play like some Super Nintendo games I'd never even heard of before, never even seen of before in North America. But they had ROMs, so I played them. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you know what? This all actually goes back to the Dreamcast. This is going to sound really weird, but the Sega Dreamcast was the first time I realized that ROMs were even something that you could do. Because I went to a flea market and there was a dude, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, the Sega Dreamcast, one of the nails in the coffin for that system was how easily you could, um, you could bootleg or pirate games for it. Um, you could basically just burn them onto a CD, um, so there was a guy at a local flea market who was selling, um... I think it was 150 or more uh, Super Nintendo games in one for Dreamcast. And I'm like, okay, well, like, like what's, what's the catch with this one? So I, I started talking to him, trying to figure out what was going on. And I was young, right? Like um, I, I, I was still a teenager at the time. 
Um, and he just explained that there was this loading disc. So you just put the loading disc in it. It launches um, this thing. It'll give you a prompt. Then you put the ROM disc in and um, it'll just load up and you can you can play ROMs. Uh, so you can play any Super Nintendo game. What he didn't say is that those games won't save properly. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. RPGs were out. Uh, yeah. they, they're just, uh, even though the Sega Dreamcast did have a, uh, a, a, like it had a comprehensive memory card system. Uh, whoever did the work on, on this version of an emulator did not do a good job of the save feature. So yeah. um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I get this thing home. I pop it in. Uh, it's this really crazy anime background with like falling snow like this horrible horrible uh, I'm, I'm not gonna say horrible sorry somebody put a lot of effort into the graphical detail of this menu um and then just like this bogus music playing in the background yeah and then you would just scroll through it and it was like um so like white titles on a blue snow falling <laughs> background yeah, yeah, yeah. with like this anime winter fairy in the background and I'm like, okay, <laughs> so, uh, but sure, shit, everything worked. Every every ROM on that thing worked. There wasn't a game that didn't work. Um, and that's when I realized that out there somewhere there were versions of Super Nintendo games, and they were just data because I I popped that CD uh, into my my home PC, and I could see that they were just files. They were just named files in a format that I I wasn't familiar with. So that got me started, um, and then eventually I found this game, Second Insetsu Three, and uh, I mean we can start getting into we can start getting into this, but basically there was a big push um, in the mid to late uh, mid to late nineties and well into the two thousands, uh, and it it was just there were games that don't come or didn't come over to to North America from from Japan and many of these games uh people would argue were were pretty good so like uh, way back in the day you would pick up a game magazine now Stu I know you weren't as into consoles as I was but uh, one of the big magazines that I used to pick up um it was uh Electric Gaming Monthly and Electric Gaming Monthly loved loved looking at what was being released in Japan and reporting on it. Hmm. And they would report, uh, especially because I was such a Squaresoft fanboy back in the day, they would report all kinds of stuff that Square was doing over in Japan. That's neat. And all of these games looked so awesome and so comprehensive. Also, there was a really cool fighting uh, Dragon Ball Z game that never came yeah. over. Um, and actually, I've still never really found the one that is like the images burned in my head from that magazine. But um, <laughs> anyway, like the first time I saw Super Saiyan was in an EMG instead of like yeah, on TV, yeah, yeah. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I would see all these Squaresoft games that just never showed up in North America, let alone Canada, right? So um, I just started flipping through those old magazines again trying to find things uh trying to find titles for stuff so like i remember i found final fantasy 3 in electric gaming monthly and it was actually uh images i know now that it was images from final fantasy 5 because at some point emg thought that final fantasy 5 would get released 
in North America, and it would be the the game that came after Final Fantasy IV, which was Final Fantasy tier or yeah. two here, yeah. not knowing that Final Fantasy V and Final <laughs> Fantasy VI were being designed in tandem, yeah. and that they never had, uh, SquareSoft Japan never had any intention of releasing five here. They were gonna do a localization of six, and that was it. Um, because six was actually in terms of uh, in terms of basically everything except for the job system, uh, six was the superior game, it, like in terms of story, in terms of music, in terms of graphical fidelity. Like the graphics, uh, the jump from five to six is so obvious. Um, whereas like um, Final Fantasy five has, and it's so funny because this is not the game we're talking about. Final Fantasy five has this almost identical graphics to Final Fantasy four. Um, just slightly better. Whereas Final Fantasy VI, it's 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 like when you play a shooter a and jump. it's a complete yeah. yeah, like just a completely different engine, completely different design. Um, so yeah, uh, SquareSoft right at the end of Super Nintendo's life released some enormous, and when I say enormous, like long good incredibly detailed uh rpgs jrpgs so one of one good example would be bahamut's lagoon which was their response to atlas's um tactics ogre uh so it, it was a bit of a spin on the concept every single battle was um was like an actual sort of final fantasy style turn-based battle um but you did a bunch of movements on an overworld map, like so you would you would end up like doing things like sieging castles, and then you would deploy your units, like you would decide who's in each unit, and you would deploy it. Those units would like engage with enemies, and when you ran into enemies on the map, then you actually had the 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 proper battles. Um, also, there were like there was a chaos factor in that you had dragons attached to your units as well, and they would just do stuff, but you had to train them for AI. So that's one example of a game that we never got. Um, oh god, there's another uh, game that I didn't even learn about until like two years ago. Um, I think it was Radius. Um, there's a there's a really really good round website called uh, I think it's Fantasy Anime and I'll make sure that it's linked in the show notes but there's a I think it's uh yeah I think it's Radius or something it's it's a it's I think it was the last game that SquareSoft released on Super Nintendo before jumping over to the PlayStation and it is a complex game where there are like there there's some kind of like sigil system for magic and you need to understand what the words for each magic spell are and you can actually create your own spells if you put the words together but all of that inside a squaresoft jrpg framework um so you you can basically create your own elemental abilities for characters once you learn how to decipher that language um so kind of complex but also also some of like the best graphics you will ever see in a squaresoft game and so then bringing it all back let's bring it all back second in setsu three so uh, secret of mana um two oh god i'm getting lost um was one of these games and it for the super nintendo to look at it it is one of the most technically impressive games you'll ever see um 
like for a 16-bit system specifically mm-hmm. for the Super Nintendo. Like it's it's got some really smooth sprite work. Uh, the music is on par with basically everything else that uh, that Squaresoft released for uh, the Super Nintendo. And if if we can be real, there weren't many Squaresoft soundtracks on the SNES that were duds. I think maybe uh, Mystic Quest is the only one that I can think of that I didn't really like the music for. Um, and uh, Second Setsu 3 is another example of a pretty solid uh, soundtrack to go with a vis- visually impressive game. Uh, the gameplay is like if you like Secret of Mana, you're going to like this game. If you don't like it, then you're not going to like this game. Yeah. But um, yeah, like learning how to navigate ROM sites and learning because <laughs> that's the thing. Like now, um, and even now, like me saying, like even if I try to explain what it's like to navigate ROM sites back in the day, like it's it's also sort of a dated concept because there are very few ROM sites that are staying up or that are maintaining their, uh, their specifically their SNES ROMs. Um, you'll find that the fan sub community is less likely to be intimidated by Nintendo because Nintendo doesn't approach them the same way because some of the stuff that they're posting, it's, it's sort of questionable if they're even really breaking laws because this is not stuff that Nintendo's ever going to pursue or re-release. Uh, especially since most of it is Squaresoft stuff, right? Um, or yeah. some other company that has disappeared into obscurity. Excuse me, I'm, I'm just trying to think of other examples. Um, oh, wow. No, the original Front Mission. Did you ever play the game Front Mission, Stu? Um, or a ver- what, any of the Front Missions? It was, uh, it, was the, it was Squaresoft's mech game. Like, you could make mechs and, like, put a bunch of weapons and stuff on them. Uh, rings a bell, but I don't think so. Okay, yeah, Front Mission Three, I think, was one of one of the like best versions of that game. Mm. Um, it was on PS, yeah, I think it was on PS Two or PS One. I don't know. Uh, anyway, um, but like uh, the original Front Mission is on Super Nintendo, but it never got released here in North America, and that's another really good example of like an out of the box concept for SquareSoft. It was just like it was a <clears throat> turn based tactical game where you could equip your mechs and then you just took them into battle um in 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 squads like it was actually and it all played out in uh on a warscape but um that's another example of uh of a rom that i came across that no idea that (laughs) that was on that was on super nintendo um yeah, I think the only other uh, example that I can think of is the uh, Shin Megami Tensei games. Um, and, oh, and the Dragon Warrior games. None of the Dragon Warrior games ever, or Dragon Quest games ever came over to to North America. But yeah, Stu, you you had to have engaged with um, with ROM. So, uh, okay. sorry, I'm going to break down. I'm going to break down for people who aren't familiar with the process, how, how ROMs work. So ROMs, what you need is you need software on a device that will play these, these files and the device, it, it, it's so much easier if it's on a computer. Um, but there are also other ways of doing it. Um, and we might get into that in a little bit 
like a little bit later, depending on what our conversations go like. But um, so what you need is you need to go somewhere, download the emulator. So download the software for the emulator. And then what you need to do is you need to actually have those ROMs, store them in the place that you're supposed to for the emulator to launch properly. And then call up those, uh, like turn on the emulator, call up the ROM, and then you can just play the game. Um, it's basically having a program that's a, like a virtual version of the console. Yes, it's a virtual version of the console, or, or um, like uh, if if you get as high as say the the PlayStation, mm-hmm. um, then a virtual launch pad for the BIOS, mm-hmm. right? So for for the uh, the launch program of the, the thing itself, so it's a launch program for the launch program. Over time, because there are uh, legal legal complications with this whole process, like uh, the distribution of ROMs isn't a hundred percent a legal thing due to due to copyright laws and because copyright laws can extend for so long um sometimes this stuff falls into obscurity or or disappears altogether Mm -hmm. before um before you can ever really secure the rights for it or they they turn public um this could be conceived as illegal right um and Nintendo's never, I'm not going to say never, but Nintendo is very unlikely to pursue you or even know that you have them. And that's sort of, uh, you know, that's sort of what it is. But at, at the end of the day, what you are doing is you are using pirated stuff. Because at some point somebody took a or somebody took a, a cartridge and pulled the the code off of it. And now it's in a digitized form, which is, you know, like we, we deal in digitized game formats all the time now. Like it's, it's nothing new, but for some reason <laughs> back in the nineties, especially if you were a console kid, the concept of having the code on your computer was nuts. <laughs> what? Like, so, um, yeah. Uh, am I concerned about the illegal uh, ramifications of owning ROMs? No. Uh, I've got a pretty pretty respectable collection. I think I've got the complete uh, like Nintendo collection, the original NES. I've got a few Game Boy, a few Super Nintendo, just like stuff that I know that I'll I'll never own again. Um, that's just getting harder as as time goes on because the collector's bubble for for these markets is pretty insane um also um time is cruel time is a cruel cruel thing and let's be real those cartridges will last for a while but they will not last forever and i am expecting that i may outlive some nintendo and super nintendo cartridges for sure um or at least the battery backups that nintendo was using um this is not an excuse to break the law but i'm i'm just saying that like I'm not gonna try and buy. N- number one, I'm never gonna play Earthbound, so that's a bad example. But I'm not gonna try and buy Final <laughs> Fantasy three again, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. although I will probably also not play it on on uh, NES again or SNES again because I can just there are better ways to play that game. Yeah, but um, yeah. and there there uh, uh, the point that I'm trying to get at is there are some games that you just you will never be able to buy a cartridge for. Um, Or if you do, this is the sort of thing that maybe you shouldn't be paying for. Because if you're buying a Secret of Mana 2 cartridge from someone, 
and it's not in Japanese, then it's not a real cartridge. It's what's referred to as a repro. Um, so it's it's a reproduction. And if you're paying more than it costs to make the parts of that cart, then you're paying too much. Somebody's just taking your money and yeah. monopolizing on the fact that you want to play a game that somebody else created. So, um, and I'm not trying to shit on the repro uh, market. Like that's that's not my intent. Some people actually want, some people actually want the physical copy of the game, even though you can't have it in North America in English. I get that. Like, and all the power to you. I've I've purchased a few repros just because that's what I wanted. But honestly, if you want to do everything on the original hardware, that's hard. It number one, it's hard. But hard. number two, the best option is uh, it's an EverDrive. Like it's a it's a flash cart. So like a, yeah. a cartridge that boots off of a uh, a micro SD card and just has everything on it. Um, and they are out there if you really want to know how to how to uh, where to look and what you need for that. Feel free to contact us at learnfromgamingpodcast at gmail.com. I was going to say, and Google is a little bit less. Yeah, but I, no, it's it can yeah. get a little confusing. Uh, like if somebody yeah. who's who's really interested, um, I can I can help you out there. Uh, yeah. Because I've got one, right? Like I've got one. I know where to buy it. I know the best version to buy, at least the, the, the one that plays the most stuff. Yeah, you've already done that research. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the other option, and this is an option that is actually pretty quickly fading, um, is buying a NES or SNES classic, uh, because the ease with which you can hack those consoles is scary. Um, the software is already out there. All you have to do is Google it. Uh, there are tons of YouTube videos that have no content. Like they're not going to get taken down. Nintendo, I don't think Nintendo cares that you void the warranty on your device when you crack them. Mm-hmm. Um, it just means they never have to fix them for you if they ever break. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, I've been able to, I've been able to um, play some, some really, like, really unexpected games on my SNES Classic. I was able to put the ROMs on there um, and just make sure that the emulator is updated um or the the software for the emulator is updated, yeah. and it it's it's just like playing it on original hardware. Like it's awesome, except that it's in HD. Like I can play it uh, <laughs> on an HD screen, and I love it. <laughs> I love it. Where uh, when we get to the games that that I've played, there's a game that I've been playing lately that uh, <laughs> that I've been doing that a lot for, and I wouldn't have been able to do it if I hadn't hacked my SNES yeah, Classic yeah, yeah. Uh, or my SNES Classic. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So yeah, man. Uh, do you want to talk about ROMs at all, or do you want to shift over to your game? My only note about ROMs is that, uh, by chance, yesterday, uh, a new NES cart was found. Okay, so like a new game that uh, an unreleased NES game released? from oh. 1989. Wow, which, what was it? Uh, was a wrestling game. Oh. Featuring WCW wrestlers, which wow, yeah, it was not only never released, it was actually never announced. And last night, I guess yesterday or the day before, um, some NES cart collector picked one up and 
threw out a video saying, hey, I found this thing. Look, nobody has it. Nobody's ever known this existed. But some Nintendo employee somewhere had a copy of this cart because it was his job at some point to actually test it as part of the certification process. Right. Um, and, yeah, so, th- th- like, the only way to play that game will be via a ROM. <laughs> <laughs> if that ever yeah. becomes yeah, if, available, if he, yeah, <laughs> if he ever takes the time to to rip yeah, it, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, that's uh, that's yeah. Like and o- otherwise, that's a chunk of history that is inevitably going to crumble quickly. Yeah, and that's what uh, people like the Frank Cifaldi's of the world are are concerned about. Like, they are there are some people that are so pro pirating um, because the video game industry is so dog shit at maintaining its own history because mm-hmm. like they're, they're corporations, right? Like this, it's about moving the unit Top now, yeah. not maintaining the legacy later. Yeah. Um, they, they don't care about that shit. So, <laughs> and like, and copyright laws ensure that it's in their interest to defend their IPs and aggressively pursue anyone who's trying to maintain that legacy without their authority. Yeah. So, um, that's where we get things like Nintendo doing uh, like down wrong t- sites. Yeah, taking legal action against um, existing yeah. ROM it's, sites. It's an unfortunate thing, but yeah. Um, but I will. I'll. I'll be sure to to link um, one of my favorite uh, fan sub ROM sites um, in the show notes, and I'll be doing a shout out for them at the end of the uh, the episode, so we can talk about that then. Right. So that's what I got, and that's what I wanted to do. Um, I first, my first encounter with ROMs, it was all just uh, JRPGs, uh, yeah, translated yeah. JRPGs. But man, was that ever great when I had the time to do it! Yeah, yeah. For me, it was just bouncing through classics that I never had the opportunity to play previously. You know? Yeah, did you play that stuff on a keyboard or did you have a joystick or what? Because I played, like, the, the JRPGs I could do on the keyboard no problem. Like, it, it didn't bug me, but I could not do most uh, most of the platforming stuff. <sighs> See, I was used to it. I, I would go, like, either way. Even stuff like, like Super Mario World. Honestly, I th- because the controls are so simple, there was very little that had to be, like, an analog thumb pad or something like that for yeah, for the point. finesse or the control like it, it didn't really bug me one way or the other so i yeah, okay. I, was, yeah. I was fine with both okay cool yep all right well hey what do you what uh what, what are you talking about well today? i am going to talk about a game that i think i uh at some point it was in an episode in a games i was playing uh, I'm going to talk about The Swindle. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about Overdin. No, you talked about Overdin. talked about Overdin already, you? yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for okay. listening. <laughs> Tell me about The Swindle. So this, well, no, the, it's been a while. Yeah, it's been like yeah, almost yeah, a month. Yeah. Uh, so The Swindle is a stealth game. Uh, it's a it's a decent stealth game. Actually, I, I kind of enjoyed it. The premise is you are... It, it has kind of a steampunk London setting. I, it, It's pushed as steampunk London. I definitely get the steampunk. The London, I don't feel so much. But the, the principle is that you have 100 days, uh, one mission per day, to accrue a crap ton of money and gain access to 
a super secret government vault where they're making an AI that's going to make stealing impossible. Oh, no. So... Oh, my God. Yeah, you just have to be good at stealing, get a lot of money, and then eventually unlock, like, the final mission and go and do that. Cool. It's a stealth game. It's a side-scroller... Side-scroller platformer kind of thing. Every mission loads. You come in on one side, and there are guards that patrol and money on the ground and computers like bank computer kind of things you can steal money from yeah um, the uh, it was <laughs> it, 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 yeah it, it was it was interesting <laughs> because you could kind of see uh, the game did a, a really good job on the interface uh, in terms of showing you what areas were dangerous and what areas were not dangerous, like where you would actually be safe uh, and where and when you would not be safe. Right. Which is really, really refreshing and really important for a stealth game. It also kind of introduced this middle state of a lot of stealth games are either in the vein of something like Dishonored or Assassin's Creed where you can be sneaky, sneaky, and then you get spotted and then oh no you can like you're still a powerhouse you annihilate all the guards because you're godly and then you can pretend to be sneaky again or they're the other vein of like old school thief where you're sneaky sneaky and if somebody spots you you're fucking dead and you start to level over again or from wherever you saved because there's no coming back they did this weird thing in the swindle where the mission doesn't end. Everything is still super dangerous. There's kind of an intermediary state where the alarms are going off. The cops are coming. They're going to be on their way. There's a heightened state of security everywhere. When the cops get there, they are, like, dreadful to deal with. Yeah. Uh, but you have a little bit of time to do a bit of risk reward and maybe get a little bit deeper into the level and steal and like just get to that next computer and yank stuff from before you bolt and it's it plays off of there's yeah that that intermediary state where a lot of games don't have that kind of thing uh there's it's very quick snap decision making in terms of do you go for it do you not and it's a gambling simulator. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to, to to a point. Uh, yeah, it, it it was really interesting. Uh, the The levels are all randomly generated. There's ample time to get the story and everything done. Uh, I never felt rushed or under any constraint. So when you go in and you do a level, uh, you pull out a crap ton of money. And you can use that money to buy upgrades. I think there are uh, there are a few different upgrade trees for your character. So you can upgrade your... Uh, they have agility, abilities, tools. You have fancy goggles. And they're just miscellaneous upgrades that you can buy. So that either makes you run faster or you stick to walls better. Or you, you, know, you get better jumping. Or you get tools like bombs or... Uh, remote hacking because it's a steampunk thing all of the guards are robotic okay so you can like hack into them and blow them up or make them you know do all kinds of crazy crap oh dear uh you 
you unlock bombs at some point, which you can actually blow through walls. You can, I mean, you can blow up baddies with them, but getting through walls ends up being incredibly important at some point. You end up being in levels where you need to get through walls to actually get all of the loot out of places. The goggles that you have let you look further, like actually look off the screen so your character can kind of hunker down and like gaze in a direction to help you get a better idea of, of the level itself. Uh, or you can unlock higher levels, essentially. I think, I think there are about five-ish tiers of levels. So you start off kind of strolling through really low low quality you know housing districts or warehouse districts or that kind of thing before bumping up into the the bigger more expensive districts and higher security stuff everywhere and knocking off the, the banks and that kind of stuff before actually being able to do the last level the game also rewards you for succeeding multiple missions in a row so okay you're given this robotic steampunky character dude ma'am and you actually gain more money by succeeding and getting out multiple you know in multiple runs in, in succession uh i shoot i don't remember what the multiplier is if it's like a 10 percent cumulative 10 percent bonus every time so keeping a long streak of escapes and staying alive is a really big deal so that kind of causes a little bit of i don't know in in my mind it makes more sense to play it safe but that's whatever that side of my number brain thinks i don't know um but yeah so so it's it's a relatively like it's a pretty approachable game the colors like the, the design of it the interface is done pretty well the uh, the art style is good. It's consistent, but a little bit drab. Yeah, it's, and I think the color scheme impacts that too. Does does the color scheme change from level to level? Because I've seen gameplay videos of this. No, it doesn't. The set, the the different level sections or whatever districts. I think they, they're called districts. The different districts that you go to, it doesn't affect the appearance at all. Just the difficulty more than okay. anything else so everything is that kind of like um yeah like uh, drab very drab yeah. tones yeah it's and that's yeah that's a good descriptor that's <laughs> a good descriptor for it, it. it yeah i yeah i don't mean drab like boring although it, it kind of just what drab implies is those like very dull tones everywhere there there are led screens or else whatever there are lit up screens every now and then that are uh, kind of that like yellowy, sickly yellow white kind of thing, and th- only with black text on them. So even the the brightest part of the screen is still very monochromatic. Yeah, but and the the way that I remember the uh, the gameplay video, like it feels like a cloudy day in steampunk land. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, and the robots and the guards are like it's almost like olive greens and like like military drab mili- like uh, very subdued greens and browns 
earthy camouflage. Ah, like nothing's bright, <laughs> nothing's exciting to look at. Yeah. Uh, which I, it, it's tough to say whether or not that detracts from the experience at all. I don't know. Uh, the controls I remember were exceedingly frustrating, and that's not good. I, <laughs> I, not good I, this is, uh, funnily enough, this is actually something that uh, people noted was an issue specifically with keyboard and mouse. That controllers, if you had an Xbox controller or something, uh, uh, for your computer, it, it was fine. There were just certain mm-hmm. uh, sequences of keystrokes that would not do the right thing. Like sticking to a wall or jumping the right direction, which in a game that have like in a stealth game that rewards you for staying alive, when you get spotted and shanked because you didn't stick to a wall or something like that, it's really easy to see. Uh, I think the Steam reviews, at least, people got the game got lambasted for that in particular. And it's so difficult to know how much of that is bad controller and how much of that is, no, you're just shit at the game. <laughs> so <laughs> Nice. It's nice. Uh, yeah, that's, that's how that goes. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but, but the game itself did... It's interesting because it does, it does a really good job of, like I said, the interface, like the controls and the... And the the visual design maybe leaves something to be desired, but the interface, it's very clear to the player at all times what is dangerous and what is not. Like mm. where you need to go, what will benefit you, what will destroy you. And it, it's just, it's super refreshing to have a stealth game that actually like, like puts all like, puts its cards on the table that doesn't happen very often right a lot of the time in stealth games you're you're forever like picking around corners and taking everything super slow because you don't know what's around the next corner and this game is the total flip of that it's a stealth game that you can blitz through at blinding speed level after level after level as long as you're on top of your game because you you always know what's coming so as long as you can approach that that next guard that next challenge the next whatever properly you don't have to slow down there there are no surprises when you screw up it's not because uh when you get spotted it's not because there was a guard in a sneaky spot that you didn't see or somebody patrolling through and just happened to open a door at an inopportune time when you get spotted it's because you screwed up (laughs) like it's it's very cut and dry like and that's it's really, really refreshing to have almost any game like that, let alone a stealth game that's like that. Yeah. So it really, yeah, it forces you to pay a little bit of attention of, of what's coming up and what's coming through. You earn money and you purchase your upgrades and you test them all out one at a time. You don't have to like re-equip different gear. You take it all with you at the as you go so you unlock a thing and you get used to it and you use that tool to make more money and then you buy the next thing and then you integrate that particular tool or that ability into your into your kit my cats are freaking the fuck out that's great good cats they like boxes what can i say 
Hey, it's it's a good time to do it. Um, so yeah, you can, <laughs> you slowly get to integrate more and more tools into into what you're bringing in every mission, and it. I don't know. Like the learning curve is perfect. There, there's there's a lot of great design through this game. The the player experience is really solid. Uh, I recommend playing with the controller. Uh, <laughs> but if, if you're a fan of uh, if you're a fan of stealth games, uh, I really think it's it's excellent. It was released 2015, so it's not it's not crazy old. Mm. Uh, I don't know if there have has been a better stealth game released since then. Uh, some people complained about difficulty. I don't strictly agree with that, but that's me. Uh, some people yell at me for that kind of thing. Yeah, I think with with the controller, it's it's a perfectly fair a fair game that even on your first run through, you can you can screw up a lot and still have ample time to accomplish what you need to do by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that means like screwing up, getting you like just being a bad player and getting used to the game and slowly learning everything and having cats meowing at you all the time and still you know, <laughs> the hundred missions is plenty of time, I think. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Lots of fun. The audio design is pretty good. Which is, yeah, m- most games I usually turn the music off and have something else playing because a lot of music in games is like meant to be ignored. Yeah, uh, but the this unfortunately, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, every now and then there's there's and some of the composers like are very very surprising. Like the Arson Games guy, uh, Pablo something something. I really hope it's a Pablo something something now. <laughs> dear God, dear God. I'm pretty sure his name is Pablo, oh, but no, his yeah. stuff is gorgeous. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that just pop, popped into my head because that's on my screen right now too. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. But yeah, so so the auto the music in the game is was worth listening to as well. Okay, um, cool. Yeah, just everything. Yeah, it was it was a good experience. It was good to to kind of have another stealth game experience a relatively fresh experience with a stealth game like i i love stealth games they've come up a bunch for me i think i might be out of stealth games to cover i will find some (laughs) (laughs) presently but you never know you could find another one oh yeah they're they're out there uh every game is a stealth game if you play it right Uh, (laughs) um Okay. Anyway, it's a lot of fun. Pick it up, even if it's on sale sometime. Grab a controller rather than keyboard. Okay. Or get used to which... There are only a couple like sequences of keystrokes that will kill you. Get used to what those are and do something different. Yeah, okay. So, like, um, just just to be clear for anybody, if, if it isn't yet, um, like, it's, it's 2D side-scroller style, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because uh, I remember thinking like the the platforming stuff, um, and then like you get escalating abilities, so you're uh, or you get abilities as you play yeah. and as you like buy equipment. Um, yeah, like I think that that's cool. I think that that is a genre that would appeal to like a lot of retro gamers would probably really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, when I when I saw videos of it, I was just like, that looks pretty freaking cool. Yeah. 
it kind of reminds me of steam or not steampunk it is steampunk but it kind of reminds me of uh the uh steam world games well i can see that it, it's a less color less colorful aesthetic but yeah, yeah. similar i mean not turn-based right well no steam, oh, so sorry, like, yeah, yeah not steam heist Something well, else. yeah, you're thinking yeah. SteamWorld Heist, but there's SteamWorld Heist, SteamWorld Dig, and I, there was another one, too. Oh, okay. I forget what the other okay. one was. Okay. Oh, wow, my computer. <laughs> I haven't touched you in a while, computer. It just went black. Um, there we go. Yeah. She came back. Yeah. Uh, it's the... Yeah, speaking to um, retro gamers enjoying it, there's something about... it. It's, it almost plays like mini snippets of a Metroidvania Right, just diving out, getting resources, getting money, but then instead of being rewarded by this is your random upgrade that you found in this particular area, you get to pick, you, buy, you buy, you get to pick yeah. pick what your next upgrade is. That's nice. That's a that's a nice change. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Yeah. Cool. 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 Yeah. You feel good about that one? Yeah. It was it was kind of a surprise game. I think this game came onto my radar because i had watched i i watched a youtube video at some point about game design and this game popped up and i wound up looking into it and checking it out and was quite pleased with it yeah we've yeah we've talked about this game on the podcast once before so um yes and in it with respect to it is uh the the video itself i forget exactly uh who the creator was but the the content was most stealth games get it wrong yeah yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah it's it's yeah it, it's just like a twist on how information is displayed to the player i think and what information is there yeah okay uh, yeah. Did you have any closing remarks? Um, mm, nothing jumps to mind. It's it's a game I would recommend. Okay. In general. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. That's, that's closing remark. I like it. Thumbs go in the upwards. So it's good. Yeah, I was actually surprised it came out 2015. I, it it must have, uh, I must not have been aware of it when it came out because I, th- I think I only picked it up last year. M- mm-hmm. Maybe it was the year before. I don't know. I'm my memory is balls. So uh, apparently it's on Wii as well. It's on the Wii U and the PSV and Xbox One. Look at that. It's on all the things. Go get it. Okay, you <laughs> just said. Wait. You just said it's on the Wii U. Yep. It's on the PSP. Yes. And on Xbox P- One. V. 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 So v. the Vita? Uh, PlayStation 3, PlayStation 4, and PlayStation Vita, I guess, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, if it's on PlayStation 4, yeah, I could buy it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was going to say the Vita, <laughs> the Vita is, I mean, it's cool, but uh, yeah. I think it it was rec- that like both the the Wii U and the PlayStation or the the PlayStation Vita are basically, um, yeah, they're around, but I don't know how much support you're gonna find for them anymore. Um, okay, well, cool, cool, good to know, yeah. good to know, yeah, and thank you for taking us there, yeah.
All right, so let's uh, maybe let's shift into the next section, which is kind of exciting. Um, <laughs> okay, are you ready for All the right. section, Stu? All right, you intro it. I'll read it. <laughs> no, I've I've sent you one, but I'm gonna. You just uh-huh. did a bunch of speaking, so I'm gonna actually hmm. do the email that do the came element. in. Yeah, perfect. Um, so you just uh, you just make sure that you've got your good friends. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. Right. So so <laughs> don't say it like that. Like he emailed us. <laughs> That's more than most people did. Um, okay, so um, the next section of the show is what you can teach us. And it turns out uh, that you can teach us a lot about I'm filters for Gmail. Um, because, yeah, I did not see these emails. Um, right, so I have an email from Robert Ring. It comes in <laughs> January 21st. By the way, it's March 7th. Um, so yeah, oops, oops, oops. <clears throat> All right. So I'm going to read it. Yeah. It's a, it's a bit, that's uh, not too large. I think this should go pretty well. Well, it depends. It depends how well I, I dictate. Also, there's a bunch of bubbles in the way. Damn pornography. Okay. Oh, okay. So here we go. That's, yeah. Reasonable. Actually, I ended up, I, th- this has nothing to do with pornography. I'm just saying I ended up with a virus on my computer the other day. Mm. Uh, and it was actually from going to a ROM site. Um, I can see I was that, talking, yeah. uh, I was talking about a ROM, uh, a arcade ROM that, uh, I wanted. And I was talking to Fred Rojas about it and I'm like, I'm just going to get it. So I went, I found a site, I downloaded it. It's a fucking virus. Nice. <laughs> nice. It's 100% a virus. Nice. Um, Oh, it sucked. It sucked. Uh, so I've been sort of slowly playing cleanup ever since. Yep. But uh, yeah, by the way, ROMs are a lot harder to get in, in a clean form now. Uh, if you have a good friend who already has them, that is usually yeah. the best way to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Okay, so here, jumping back, Robert Ring, friend of the show, writes in and says, Hey, oh, dudes, I realized that when I send you guys emails, I tend to ask more about learning games themselves rather than learning from games. So my apologies for that. But these are just questions that come to mind for you. Um, With that in mind, I have another question. Not about learning from games, but regarding learning to play a game itself. Which I personally feel is not separate. You're still learning. Um, But it's, it's the semantics, so we'll get into it. Um, have you ever played a game in which learning how to play is actually designed to be part of gameplay experience itself? Um, should we, yeah, let's just stop here and actually answer that. Cause okay. he, he then talks about his own experiences. Yeah. Um, and I would say, yes, there are many games that actually try to teach you how to play. Um, some of them do a much better job than others. Um, uh, like the the infamous example is uh, like the the first level of Super Mario Brothers for the NES. Like it's it's literally designed to teach you how to play it, and it's a tutorial that you don't you don't even realize is there because the uh, the, the simplicity of the Nintendo controller is that you you like you have the D pad, the directional pad, which is up, down, left, right, and then you have the two buttons, so the A and the B button. Um, and Nintendo, when they designed, uh, Super Mario Bros, that, that first level, so 1-1, one, one, it was designed to encourage you to utilize all of the abilities that you possibly could 
in order to play the entire game. It introduces you to question marks. It introduces you to hidden boxes. It introduces you to pipes that you can go down if you want to. Um, and it's all about layout. Um, I think another example, and sort of a weirder one, is... Uh, th and this isn't always clear, but do you remember... Wolfenstein and Doom. I think it was Wolfenstein actually had the control scheme in like written on a wall <laughs> or something like or when you were loading like the control scheme was just there so it would tell you what all the controls were on the computer and then you just went and you you like and the, the levels were designed to slowly introduce you to new weapons and stuff. Um I always thought that that, that uh, the pacing of specifically like Wolf, the original Wolfenstein and Doom were really, really good in that respect. Um, but I may actually in, I may actually be thinking of other id games or not even id games. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Apogee. Apogee was infamous for that because a lot of what they released yeah. was shareware. So it had no manuals. Yeah. Um, so, Some of them uh, even had controls on the HUD. Yeah, so like Commander Keen and uh, and Duke Nukem would often yeah. have controls on the HUD or controls right at the start of the game, so y you could see what your control scheme was. Um, yeah, could you read that question again, though? Yeah, absolutely. So, I uh, yeah, it's okay. Um, have you ever played a game? in which learning how to play the game is actually designed to be part of gameplay experience itself. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. is like, this is, it's a tough one because I feel like most games, like if you want a game to be successful, you design your game this way. Yeah. There's, there's actually, Oh God. Like as if he needs any more promotion. Uh, Eagle Raptor has this, the sequelitis videos. One of them is about uh, Mega Man. Yeah. And one of the Mega Man uh, sequels. I don't know. There, there are fucking <laughs> million of them. Pick one. But oh, whatever one he's talking about. Approximately yeah, 11. I, I don't remember which one he talks <laughs> okay. about. But he actually spends a decent amount of, the t of, of time in the video going through how, through decent game design, like they that's what they do the game is teaching you how to play it stuff rather than having a, a gajillion message boxes pop up and say well this is how you press x to jump and you press b to be butts and yeah it, it's just it plays and you learn and you get to like see and experience and feel all the bibbity bops and all the jizzity jazz yeah and it's, it's well, really I good yeah. I'm like I'm thinking of uh, exactly which Mega Man game pulls that off the best, and if you were to ask me, I would say that Mega Man X, the intro, the 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 start of Mega Man X, um, for the SNES, more than any of the other Mega Man games that I can think of off the top of my head, because it places you directly into a starting level. Um, so it's not like you don't choose one of the bosses that you have to go fight. Like you have to play through this introductory level first. Uh, it'll teach. So it teaches you how to move forward. Uh, there's a gap that you can only cross if you learn how to dash and jump over it. Um, if you fall down, if you can't make that jump, then you have to learn how to wall climb, uh, which isn't isn't too hard. Yeah. Um, 
I don't, the only thing I don't think it does is I don't think it teaches you how to charge your blaster properly. Well, no, it shows you that you can at the start because you land, charge, and shoot. Um, So maybe it's that one because Mega Man X had a really good, yeah, yeah, had a really good design for that. I'll throw that video link in the, to you in the show notes because yeah it, it it is Mega Man X and it 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 does a good job of showcasing like these are mechanics that are thrown in your face and you, you yeah. learn them without without yeah. having uh yeah without having to, yeah. to like uh be pulled out of the game without having to like sit down and read a manual like remember when games had manuals crazy shit (laughs) i do i do remember when games had manuals yeah Um, we've we've gotten past that gone are those days yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. um okay so robert goes on to say i had recently or i recently had this experience with cultist simulator a big part of the game is actually the process of learning how to how the game itself works this is entirely by design as evidenced not just by the overall feel of the game, but by remarks from the developers themselves, and even an intro message that explains that part of the experience, or yeah, that part of the experience is to feel lost and unsure what is happening. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, my immediate response to that is, "Welcome to Dwarf Fortress. Dying is fun." Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> Dwarf Fortress. Actually, uh, true story. Robert Ring loves Dwarf Fortress. Uh, there there um, we go. Yeah, that's. Yeah. You, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop right now. Another really good game. Uh, another game that's really good at teaching you how to play it is. Um, not Dwarf uh, Portal. Yeah. No, por- not Dwarf yeah, Fortress. Portal is really well designed for that too. Um, like literally part of the narrative, like, um, Gladys is literally teaching you how to play the game. Um, but as, as a narrative hook, right? Like, yeah, I I would say if you haven't gone through the developer, the developer, the developer commentary on portal one and two do that. If you're interested in seeing exactly what kind of subtle details go into showing like making your players do things it's fascinating because it's controlling behavior you need to teach people things when they have all of the control it their their commentary on on the portal games is is fascinating for that specifically Mm -hmm. okay so let's see Okay, so the interface of... Sorry, I'm just I'm trying to make sure yeah. that I'm in the same place. The interface of uh, the Cultist Simulator consists of a large table with two things, or two types of things on it, cards and card slots. When you first start the game, there is one slot labeled work and one card, I believe. It is a health card. There are no instructions, but of course it's pretty easy to figure out what to do at this point. You put one available card in one available slot. Without going into the specifics of the game, I'll jump forward a bit and say that as you begin your play through the game, additional card slots quickly become available and you also begin amassing many more cards. Card slots consist mostly of verbs such as work, dream, study, explore, and cards are essentially resources ranging from health to depression to passion to glimmerings. Oh, that's interesting. And eventually, to more concrete things such as locations, um, archaic writing, and followers. Hmm. Almost every time I play a card in a slot, I wait a certain amount of time, often around 
30 seconds to three minutes. Wow, that's a long wait. Uh, <laughs> then I receive cards back. Sometimes your original card is transformed. Sometimes you get back to the original card along with additional cards. Occasionally, cards are consumed. And every once in a while, a new temporary or permanent slot might pop up. Oh, and it's not always consistent. That's interesting. Um, The key to understanding the game essentially comes down to figuring out what types of things happen when you use certain types of cards in certain slots. As one basic uh, basic example, using your health with work will provide you with money cards. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, using a book with study allows you to try to discern the secrets of a cryptic text. But what happens when you study passion or dreams or dream about reason? Uh, things quickly become convoluted, compounded by the fact that you don't always get the same results huh. with the same actions. Nice. Yeah. I've spent six or so hours in this game and still have a ton to learn. I've heard a ballpark range of 10 hours of play is good to grasp it. Okay. So, to me, the game is actually a life simulator disguised as a cultist simulator. (laughs) You kind of stumble along, try to figure out what actions produce what results. While doing so, you have to make sure you keep attending your jobs, uh, that you have enough money to stay alive, and also keep managing your physical and mental health. But at the same time, you are exploring the world around you to try and understand the greater picture of what is going on. Just as your character is attempting to delve into the dark secrets of the cosmos, you are delving into the secrets of the game's mechanics. Anyway, it's been an extremely unique experience so far. Have either of you ever played a game that takes this approach to learning? A dwarf fortress. <laughs> keep, keep up the good work, uh, Robert Ring. Oh, thank you, Robert Ring. Yeah, um, yeah I'm assuming you haven't played that game. No, I haven't. I've, I've, it's crossed my radar a couple of times, but I haven't actually dove into, into, into it yet. Yeah, that's an interesting way of describing it. Like, um, I, I have a very strong concept of what the game is now. Um, so <laughs> ruined it. Robert, you <laughs> ruined it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, can I play it? Just by his description, no. But I've got, like, it, it's, that's, it's awesome that he was able to fumble through and figure that out. Um, and like most games that you get now, uh, like you said, they don't come with a manual per se. Um, a lot of contemporary, especially AAA, like the tutorials are built into the game. It's just like a mission, right? Like, uh, the mission is the tutorial. Um, and you just sort of hope that you, you learn all the basics and that you don't forget them. Um, but, Hmm. uh, yeah, the, yeah, I can't think of anything quite like what he's describing. Th- there are um, there are games like uh, the the last, um, I would say anything roguelike often has those kinds of elements. Stuff like uh, what are they? The sunless sunless seas with the or or yes. or even like even Binding of Isaac. W- Anything that has those roguelike elements where something is like there's an item or a power up or something that drops in front of you and you don't know what it is. And, and it's that element of just grab it, <laughs> yeah. see what happens. And, yeah. and it's this exploration of uh, mixing and matching different mechanics to try and, and succeed in, you know, whatever game you're playing. 
Um, yeah, uh, I've, that's, that that's particularly nature, yeah. common. Yeah, that's particularly common now in uh, contemporary roguelikes. Yeah. Uh, you really don't, uh, and Binding of Isaac is a really good example. Um, you unlock so much stuff in that game, and when you're encountering it for the first time, you have no idea what the fuck that stuff does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, sometimes it's obvious it, like, gives you a heart or something, but, like, sometimes it gives you laser fire breath. Yeah. Or, like, you don't know. Um, you really don't know. The, the last game that I actually heard, well, I was listening to an uh, LP of it, and the people playing said you know we we don't know what this is but you know we're not looking this stuff up on the wikis part of the experience is just throwing your resources into this and seeing what happens um mm-hmm. the the kingdom kingdom games kingdom or kingdom new lands or whatever those are side scrolling okay. things you throw coins and that's what all you do but it's oh uh, yeah thing. we we played a few of those i think didn't we uh, possibly I, yeah, I think I I have one of them. I don't know. I don't know how many there are or what's going on. But yeah, those, those any game that has those elements of exploration, I think, kind of fit that bill a little bit. Yeah. Um. Okay. So next, uh, I here I'm just I'm trying to see. I'm pretty sure my oh, son's awake yeah, and my wife yeah. is just sleeping through. Okay. I'm saying stuff. N- narrative games, I would say, are the other element of that, along with roguelikes. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, next part of the email, uh, he, he actually followed up. He said, oh yeah, one more thing. I was thinking uh, at the beginning of your episodes, you always say, for those counting, this is episode whatever. But if they were counting, they would already know. Yeah. So shouldn't it be for those not counting? counting? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of us do think that. Some of us absolutely agree with that. Oh, that's fun. That's fun. All right. Um, well, uh, do yeah. uh, here. I'm gonna take a look. Okay. So, do you, uh, just because I'm pretty sure my kid is awake and my wife is sleeping through all of it, mm-hmm. uh, do you want to hold on to the next email and we can do it next episode? Oh yeah, sure. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, it's not like he's expecting it next episode. <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Good yep. point. Good point. Um, Good. Yeah. Uh, and do we want to do what we've been playing? A lot of what I uh, I feel like I can just talk about Anthem some other time. Um, but is there anything that you wanted to? Because everything else, people will know what I've been playing. I've been playing like a shitty uh, gotcha mobile game <laughs> and Wargroove. So like, um, <laughs> we can talk about Wargroove if you'd like. Uh, well, if if you're in a hurry to not be oh a terrible God, actually, parent, yeah, I should probably then, go. Yeah, I can, I can <laughs> probably this up. go. Yep, yep. Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Okay. So, um, <laughs> in which case, I'm going to say thank you for taking the time to listen, um, uh, audience, yeah. and uh, we hope you've enjoyed yourselves. So, Stu, do you have anything you want to plug quick uh, hmm. before we shut this down? Now, let me. Thing. This is fun. This is fun. What you're <laughs> no, doing it's, right it's now. fine. Go. <laughs> fantasy anime. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I I do actually want to plug okay. something. Yeah, I want to plug yeah. uh, fantasy yeah, fantasyanime dot uh, is where you'll find a lot of those uh, fan translations um, that I was talking about, and some really really great sources for for uh, emulators and ROMs. Um, oh my God, this kid. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, other than that, I want to say thank you to Joe for, for the art. I want to say thank you to Dimitri for the music. And um, yeah, I got to go. <laughs> so Stu, you have yourself a great night. Thank you so much yep. for everything. And um, Bye, everybody. Have have a wonderful time doing all the things. Yeah. Oh my like God. having children. Okay. Sorry, Stu. <laughs> okay. I'm not I'm not apologizing. I love my son. So but uh yeah, sorry. <laughs> Alright, bye.